Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to welcome back a guest that we've had before. She was on one of our most ever downloaded episodes. So Sarah Lacey is coming back. In our previous episode, in episode number 23, if you haven't listened to it yet, she shared all about how becoming a mom made her feel like more of a badass than ever. And she was surprised that becoming a mom gave her superpowers that nobody was talking about or acknowledging. In that episode, we talked about her book, A Uterus is a Feature, Not a Bug. We talked about overthrowing the patriarchy and why the patriarchy is so damaging, not just for women, but to everybody that lives within it. Today, we're welcoming Sarah back to the show because I wanted to dig in and ask her all about her new company, Chairman Mom. Chairman Mom is a website and an online community for parents to talk about, well, the stuff you wish you had your girlfriends or your dinner party to talk about. I have been a member and a huge fan since the early days, and watching them grow has been inspiring and intriguing, and I've been learning a lot just by watching how they're building what they're building. So I asked Sarah if she would come back to the show to talk about her lessons learned from building the company, why she thinks it's been so successful, and what they're working on building next. In today's episode, we dig into why their newsletter in particular was so successful. It's called The Mama Bear, and we kind of break apart why we think the pieces worked really well. We talk about why advertising-based social networks, like Facebook, are so toxic because it's there's a problem baked into the design of the business, and we get into it and unpack it. And then we get to talk about how and why anonymity in her platform on Chairman Mom, that is, being able to ask questions anonymously and answer questions anonymously, why it works in this particular case and how and why it doesn't work in other places on the internet. All right, let's dig in. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. If you live in the United States, you are entitled to a free breast pump with your insurance. But navigating the insurance can be such a pain and so much paperwork and so many logistics and so many hoops to jump. Aeroflow Breast Pumps, the company that is sponsoring this episode, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting a breast pump a lot easier for brand new mamas, second time mamas, and anybody that needs to get a breast pump. They also have a ton of resources about how to manage breastfeeding and pumping and navigating the transition back to work, including a step-by-step guide for how to make an awesome pump room. Head over to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, and they will quickly and easily help you qualify for your free breast pump. I just used them for my second kiddo, and it took it really took only a couple of minutes to go on, enter my information, and then they said, yep. I got an email right away. They said, yep, you get a new one. Go pick one out. I picked one out and they said, great, we'll send it to you once your insurance window is here. And they just took care of everything. So I didn't have to have a calendar alert and a reminder and all of these extra steps. So it was super useful and a relief. There is certainly enough to do when you're prepping for a new baby and having somebody like Aeroflow on your team is really helpful. The link is in the show notes and it's also on our website. Today, I am so excited to have somebody we've had before on the show, Sarah Lacey. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Am I your first repeat person or do you do repeat people all the time? I've only done a couple and you were, the episode that we did with you was one of the most downloaded ever episodes and I get really? so many emails uh-huh, about the, da- they're like, take down the patriarchy. So I was like, Sarah has to come back. Oh my God. I'm so happy to hear that. It was one of the most fun conversations I had about the book. So it um, was it was good. So people who are listening, if you haven't listened, listen to this one and then go back and listen to that one because they're both amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't talk about Chairman Mom on the last interview we did. We talked all about your book and the takedown of the patriarchy and so many good or bad, depending on how you look at it, things. But I want to talk to you today about your new company, Chairman Mom, and ask you all about the journey of building it. Can you start by telling us, how did you get the idea for Chairman Mom? 
Well, you know, I think part of it goes, there's a couple waves, you know, of idea. And they're always hard when you start something this ambitious or take on really anything. I, you know, I think one of the first things that occurred to me was I really love being a mom and I love being a working mom and I love talking to other moms. Like I can talk to, I'm like one of those people who like doesn't mind getting invited to like six birthday parties in one weekend. <laughs> like I just feel like I can always have a fascinating conversation with a mom. And I think it's amazing this like universal experience that kind of bonds us at the same time as what everyone feels like they're going through is so individual. And yet I've never been a member of a mother's group. I've never, you know, either in person or online was never someone who joined any kind of mom group or mom's organization or, you know, anything like that. And so part of where I think it started was in me kind of reflecting on why that was, because I should be the kind of person who's on all of them. (laughs) And so that was kind of step one. I think step two was when I was doing the, the research for my book. Um, which was all about the power of motherhood and how this experience of me becoming a mother was so different than what I felt like a lot of popular culture had told me it would be. You know, I felt stronger and I felt better. And like, sometimes I say that and people are like, but it's really hard. Like, yes, I mean, but that's why I felt so strong because like it was so hard and I was doing it. And like every time we would get through a phase or I would, you know, win a battle or fight through a threshold or, you know, even get my kids to school with like lunches packed and socks, like because it was so hard, it gave me so much confidence. And I felt like it was such a victory, you know, in addition to building companies and everything else I was doing. And and so, you know, when I researched this book about like, why is my experience so different than what American society tells us about working moms, I started to unravel, you know, a lot of these forces that, you know, don't want women to have economic equality in our country and don't want women to work and all the things we talked about in the last podcast. But but where it's relevant to this is I started really honing in on this idea that this working mom guilt and working mom shame that so many women feel crippled by, this whole idea of like mommy wars and popular culture, you know, I didn't think was a natural state of womanhood. I did not think was a natural state of motherhood. And I thought it was something that had really been sort of put in our heads by the patriarchy and particularly in in terms of the mommy wars by ad-based social media. I mean, they're toxic. They're really brutal. There's a lot of mom shaming. There's a lot of women on women violence. That's really unnecessary. And I just don't think that's how women are in a natural state. So, you know, and I think that that guilt and shame women feel is like the patriarchy's voice in their head. And I thought I I just felt like the antidote to that was more women getting together in small groups and having conversations and seeing that these things that feel so personal are really universal. You know, people who, you know, read my book or listened to the last podcast know I had a pretty crazy six year period that I chronicled in that book that involved like Ariana Huffington giving my job away while I was on maternity leave and Uber threatening my family. And like, I mean, it was like not things that normally happen to people. And yet I was struck by how many people who read that book reached out to me and said they felt like everything I was writing could have been their story. And it's like, this is like the key to women overturning the patriarchy. Like they, they make you feel like shit and they drive you out of the workforce because they make you feel like this is you and the problem's you. I mean, this is what we saw with the Me Too movement. You know, all these women have been made to feel it was them. Maybe it was just them. Maybe they were too flirtatious. Maybe, you know, maybe, 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 maybe. And when we all start comparing notes and we all start talking about these things, it's like, no, none of this is me. This is them. This is this up system that we're all trapped in. And I just felt there was so much power in women getting together and comparing their stories. And it sounds so simple, but it's really not done because particularly working mothers, but working women in general are so isolated. They're isolated at work because even if there's other women they work with, you know, they have to front that they've got everything together. Um, frequently, they can be isolated in their you know, school communities if they're the only working mom. They can be isolated in their marriages if they out-earn their spouses. Odds of spouse infidelity goes up. And they're just busy. They don't have time to, like, go get brunch with friends every week. So, you know, I just felt like this isolation was sort of this the biggest tool the patriarchy had. And if we can combat that, 
that would ab- fundamentally change America. Like, let's start with America because right now it's one of the most f***ed up. And so I was thinking about that. And then at the same time, um, I started doing this dinner series in my home once a month. And um, it was about a little over a year ago. And I just kind of sent a note to like 50 women. And I said, you know, I'm going to start hosting a dinner in my house once a month. And the first 14 women who RCP get to come. And, you know, there's two rules. And the first was that everything had to be you know, totally off the record and confidential. And the second was that the women had to be as self-promotional as possible because like, I hate these women's groups who tell you not to promote, like the world tells us not to promote. Other women don't need to tell it, be telling us not to promote. And, you know, women are really busy, particularly with the ones who are moms and running their own companies. And so I didn't, I didn't even know if people would make time. And I was sort of stunned that like within, you know, five minutes, the dinner was booked and I've been doing them for a year now and they always are booked within five minutes or less. And people have invited friends. And now it's like a group of like 100 women. And the first aha was how quickly they all said yes. I also was at a point where like Panda was under a legal threat. And I had like no money. I was like clinging to my kids home. And so I sent a note to Silicon Valley Bank asking if they would sponsor it because I just had a conversation with someone there about like how we need to get more women together. And so I was like, okay, well, like here, big talker, like, why don't you write me a check? I'm going to start doing these dinners in my house. And bear in mind, these are like confidential dinners of only 14 people. Like there's very little value a quote unquote sponsor gets out of this. And also Silicon Valley Bank generally doesn't sponsor anything because like they basically have a monopoly market position in Silicon Valley. Hence the name. And so I was basically like, Silicon Valley Bank is going to say no. And I'm like already writing down a list of like who I'm going to ping next after they say no. And I'm starting to write those emails. And um, John Chena, who was a senior guy at Silicon Valley Bank I'd reached out to, wrote me back before I could even send another email and was like, yeah, we'll sponsor the whole year. Send me the invoice now. And so I kind of had these dual aha moments of like, women are finally at a point where they really want this because for a long time in Silicon Valley, they didn't, they didn't want to identify as a female founder. They didn't want to be called a female VC. They did not want to be in groups of women. I mean, that was like very, the Sheryl Sandberg era where it's like, I got to hack my way by making it in a man's world. And I was, I did the same thing. So like no hatred, but like the world had clearly changed and women wanted to be in rooms of women. And that was aha number one. And aha number two is like, there's money for this. Like there's serious money for this. And I just got like, you know, 30 grand with one email really quickly. And I don't even really have a company yet. So like, that was a pretty major thing. And then as I did these dinners for a year, they were transformative. They were more transformative than I thought they would be. I mean, organizations were started as a result of them. Women confronted predators as a result of them. Um, women felt like, you know, they could come forward and do things because they had a bunch of women supporting them. Um, I mean, it just like there were all of these different things, tangible and intangible that came out of doing this. And I just thought, you know, we need to figure out a way to scale this. And we need to figure out a way that this can be, you know, other places like the wing, I think are doing, we're doing this with with physical spaces, which I think is really amazing. But there's a lot of people in the world who will never have access to those physical spaces. And, you know, I wanted to be able to build something that would be community first, but wouldn't have the toxicity of a social network, could still maintain that love and community that was happening around a dinner table. So those were kind of the three catalysts that led to it. And every product decision, every business decision, every, you know, hiring and investment decision all had to do with that sort of core challenge of how do we scale what happens at a dinner party? Because we all know, like, if you sit down with like your worst Twitter troll face to face, they wouldn't say the thing to you that they say on Twitter. I mean, I don't know about you, but I behave differently in different social media environments than, you know, than I do in other ones or that even I would in person. And so we were like, this isn't a human failing, this idea of people will just be nasty and people will just be mean and people will just tear each other down. You know, it's a it has to do with the software and it has to do with the companies and it has to do with the priorities of those companies because look, Silicon Valley companies, you know, are looking at colonizing Mars and sending people hurtling underground and pneumatic tubes like Silicon Valley is really good at solving problems. And typically whenever Silicon Valley leaders tell you something's too hard, what they mean is they don't care. And for years, 
people building social networks have gotten rich off of women who've been the biggest users of those platforms and are the biggest consumers, the ones that the Procter and Gambles of the world want to reach. And they've treated women like shit, and they've allowed women to be treated like shit. And we wanted to break this abusive relationship that women have with social media. We wanted to provide a place where our goal every day as a company is for a woman to come onto the site and feel better about herself every time she uses the service. And like, as a woman, I didn't have that experience anywhere else. That it makes so much sense. And it's also such a shame how toxic social media is, especially for women or other user groups that get regularly abused on a platform that wasn't necessarily designed for them or with them in mind. So what is Chairman Mom? What does it look like for people who don't know? So we're only, we've only been live a couple months. Um, so we're still pretty in our sort of infancy of everything we're going to build. So starting out, it's curated question and answer. And so what that means is that women join and they submit a question. And we post uh, two to three questions a day, typically one about work and one about life. And they tend to really be like the hardest questions that women face that they, they don't, they can't discuss elsewhere on social media and may not have anyone else in their life they can discuss them with. And then everyone just answers them. So, you know, we don't curate the answers at all. The answers are, are, are kind of a free for all. And um, eventually, you know, we actually this summer um, and, you know, throughout this year have been building out a bunch of new features. And I think by the time this airs, we'll have a lot more. So there's a lot that we want to do to connect the community and help people build a lot of, you know, personal and professional relationships that go, you know, sort of beyond question and answer. But the reason that we started with that is because that is really something that can't be done elsewhere in a supportive way. So we did uh, a survey with uh, SurveyMonkey um, right before we launched in April. And we found that north of 80% of women had seen mom shaming online. More than 60% see it regularly. And as a result, only 4% of women would consider asking advice online. So like, this was a huge hole. And so if we're going to start with something that's going to be the centerpiece of our community, that everything else is going to branch off on the way like photos did with Facebook and Instagram, we wanted to pick something that there was a huge pent up need for that also is sort of a low ask in terms of responding to a question and, you know, being prompted and answering something. But it's also really builds a lot of emotional connection. I mean, obviously, if you're someone who's in need and you're asking a question you can't ask elsewhere, just having people hear you and answer you and give you really good advice and support you is like, is, I mean, anyone who's been in crisis knows that's just transformative, but also for the women um, who are offering advice. I mean, clearly, you know, we've, we've picked two or three questions a day and, you know, we have eight to 20 answers on each thread. So more people are answering than asking. And we have power users who have answered, you know, north of a hundred questions in the last couple of months, but have never asked one. I mean, and, and on some level, it's like, that, does that make sense as a use case? But actually, when you think about and you look at some of the studies on the psychology of giving advice, it does make a lot of sense. Like, so giving advice, particularly when it's solicited, is one of the most powerful ways to people for people to build confidence in their own ability, in their own lives, that they've got everything going on. So if a lot of what we want to do is make working moms feel in control and feel badass, it's as important. You know, the sort of endorphin rush that women get and the confidence from asking questions is as important as the women who are answering questions and getting help. So it's, you know, what's been delightful about the launch is that everything, all of our hunches about what would be powerful about this have absolutely panned out. And um, the, you know, churn has been far lower than we expected. The engagement has been far higher than we expected. I mean, typically on user-generated content networks, the rule of thumb is that about 1% of your audience actively creates content and the rest are mostly lurkers. You know, we have more than 25% of the women on Chairman Mom are asking and answering questions, which is like unheard of. So, I mean, it's, and it's like we have, I mean, you can go online and you can look at the threads and the women who are saying like, this is why this site's so important to me. And the women who are asking for features that we're going to be building out in the future. I mean, we just definitely had a mind meld with our audience. And we, you know, it reminds me of, Companies like, 
nasty gal or, um, you know, it's like we didn't even have really have to explain what we meant by chairman mom. I don't think we ever had to explain the types of questions we wanted. Like, it's amazing how much our audience and the woman that we were building this for was just out there in huge numbers and really hungry for this. Um, I should say the other thing that's really important that I think is like the most important feature of the company is that it's a subscription based company. So it's $5 a month to join. And, um, you know, we have no plans to ever increase that amount. So we're going to keep, you know, like, like Netflix for a really long time, adding in more and more and more amazing stuff and more value that you're getting for $5 a month. And, you know, that means we never have to sell ads. And it's not just ads being put in your face, which like personally, as someone who's been a journalist most of my life, I don't really have a problem with someone showing me ads. I don't get upset about pop-ups or pre-rolls. What I have a problem with is the toxicity that comes with an ad-based business model. Um, When you run an ad-based business model, you have to addict people to your product. You have to play, play psychological games with them. Frequently, have to bait them into fights with one another because fights make people continue to come back over and over and over again. When you're running a subscription-based company, it's just a totally different mindset that just changes every single little thing about the product. So, like, we don't ever have to think about how do we get someone to come back every day? How do we get someone to come back this many times a day? Like, it doesn't matter. All we need to do is give you $5 a month of value. And, like... a month of value could be, you know, one question getting answered for you once or twice a year that you can't go to anyone else for that makes a massive difference in your life. Like, do you think about, um, you know, again, like Netflix is such a good example. Like, you don't need to like every show that Netflix puts out. You need to find one or two that's really valuable. And it's like they've earned their value. I mean, the only reason I have Hulu is for The Handmaid's Tale. That is it. And it's like I'm happy (laughs) to pay that amount of money. So just this difference in thinking, it allows you to make your users your customers. They're not a commodity you're selling. It's really transformational. And I think that's the biggest reason the community hasn't been toxic. And people continue to ask me, like, what's going to happen when it scales? I don't think it's an issue of scale because I've been in Facebook groups that have fewer people than chairman mom has that have had to be shut down because they're so toxic. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit about how you built up the user base? From what I understand from the outside and correct me if I'm wrong, you started with the mama bear newsletter before you opened up the chairman mom platform. How did you yes. how did you think about sequencing that and what was the strategy there? Well, um, it's interesting. So we even though this is I have no desire to ever build a newsroom again. <laughs> I mean, building investigative media journalism companies are really hard. I feel super honored to have helped do it with TechCrunch and do it with Panda over the last six years, but I never want to do it again, particularly in the era we're living in. Like I think my stars every day, we don't have to build a newsroom for this company and that it's (laughs) generating content. That said, in terms of building an audience, I mean, editorial is like really what, what I know. And Paul Carr, who's my business partner, helped me, has helped me since the beginning with Chairman Mom. Like editorial is what we know. And we know the power of narrative and editorial and building audience and community around that. So we had a, t- a developer team that was building the product in beta, but we wanted to start building the audience before the product was there. And so we were like, you know, let's start doing like a newsletter because like content works and like we all have a lot to say. And so I got um, Lily Herman, who's amazing, who like writes for everything and is so prolific and is, has her pulse on sort of everything that's happening in feminism to agree to put the newsletter together every day. And um, on mo- almost every day, I write the intro to it. And we were, I mean, frankly, we were kind of stunned at how successful the Mama Bear newsletter was. Because, like, on one level, like, it's just a newsletter. <laughs> like, there's nothing that amazing. And there's a lot of really good newsletters around feminism. I mean, I open, like, broadsheet before I do anything else in the day. But, like, our open rates were, um, God, I don't even remember now because it's not even a metric I look at anymore. But I think in the early days, like, our open rates were, like, north of, like, 70% and, like, no one canceled. Like, the the newsletter was so was so popular and it was, like, we would send it out at noon every day 
Pacific time and, you know, three Eastern. Cause we figured like the mornings are just too crazy of a time for women, especially if you're a mom. And, you know, that's kind of the time when people want to take a little bit of break and can take a little bit of a break. So we wanted to give them something like better to spend that time on. And I was just stunned at like the high percentages of people who like I would watch as the newsletter went out who would like be opening it at like at 12.01, 12.02. And like women who would tell me anecdotally, like one of my friends said that the boba tea place near her opened at noon and she would stand in line at 11.50 every day refreshing to get the newsletter and get her tea. It was like her like just get through the morning and I get these two things at noon. I still don't know why the Mama Bear newsletter resonates as much as it does. I'm thrilled it does. But people have really loved it. And it was such a great way to like say what this community stands for for a good six months before we launched. And, you know, we would ask questions in the newsletter and then people would write in responses. And so we put those responses in the newsletter. So I think it even kind of seeded what we were going to be doing and the kinds of questions we wanted and the kind of tone and support that we expected the community to have for one another. So like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I know you've got a newsletter and you've been you've been one of my favorite members of the site. I think all of your comments are always so amazing. And you asked one of our best questions ever. So I'm curious, like, for you, like, I don't know if you know why the newsletter resonated so much. Oh, it is one of my favorite things. And I wanted to ask you all about it because and people listening, go take a look at it because I think it's actually, it's got a lot of brilliant design elements in terms from like a marketing and community building standpoint. The fact that it came out five days a week at the same exact time is so habit building. And Mm -hmm. then also because like there was nowhere else to get it, there wasn't a website the only way I could share it with people was to email them. So I had to forward the email, which I think was just such a, like maybe it was accidental, but maybe it was just, it was a stroke of brilliance. But I'm sure that helped you grow because I had to forward it to my friends. And every time I would send it out, it was, I was always answering some sort of question. Like it was a conversation I had just had it with a friend and I was like, see, we're not crazy. was basically the title of the emails I would forward because it was like, oh, finally somebody's saying what, in my head, I just didn't quite have the words for it yet. That was the feeling I got from the newsletter. That's awesome. I mean, one of the things that I love about it, which is purely like Lily, like it's not even the part of it I do. Like, I love that there's always like a stat of something. I love that it's like, there's this idea of like the good news and the bad news. Cause I think yes. you need a little bit of both every day. Like there's a lot of newsletters where I feel like they seem like they're either they're too hopeful and you're like, what world do you think we're living in? And then there's somewhere it's just, it's too depressing. Like mm-hmm. we need, you need something. And we toyed around with like letting you pick a preference of like, would you rather have the good news or the bad news first? <laughs> and we're just, <laughs> we're just the to actually do that. But like, um, it's funny. We just, it's funny that you say like, so, I mean, we definitely, one of the reasons we didn't put it up anywhere is because we wanted people to have that connection in the newsletter, but we just, added a, like a link to it on the chairman mom site that has all the past intros because there were so many people who wanted to like link to past intros or cite them or have a place, you know, where they could live. So it's funny. We'll see if people even notice that we have it up or if um, how that impacts things in the future. But it's amazing. Like the hand, I was just talking to a guy that I know who was just, who was had started reading the newsletter and he was like, I think all men should read this. And I'm like, yeah, why don't, why don't you get them to? We're not writing it for men, but they can read it and probably learn something. That's so funny. You're like, yeah, okay. Yes, that would be great. I, we've been working on that for a while, but that's not our goal. A couple of other things about the newsletter. I think that the interactivity was really cool. At the bottom, there's always a shout out to somebody like here's a tip or something that we really liked. And then there's always a question because before you built Chairman Mom, there was a question and you inspired that the feeling of like, oh, I know the answer to this when I can give advice. Like, you know, how hard was breastfeeding for you? And I was like, oh, I can write an essay. I can just tell you all of the things. It was terrible. It was hard. It was great. You're not alone was my impulse response. And I thought that was so well done in terms of the interactivity and creating community around just an email newsletter even before the site was launched. It was pretty cool. 
It worked really well. I mean, I think the idea was actually Paul's, not mine. And, you know, Lily's done the bulk of the work. So like both of them like really get the most of the credit. But like, there's been so many things about Chairman Mom that should not have worked as well as they did. Like that shouldn't have worked as well. The tech team we hired should not have been as amazing as they are. Like that should not have worked as well. The like this the initial product. Like usually you launch an MVP and you make some assumptions, but you got to go back to the drawing board on a lot of shit. And like we didn't. And like I mean, there's so much. I mean, we have challenges for sure, and I'm happy to get into those challenges because like it sucks building a company as a woman, but. So many of things that absolutely should have gone wrong have just not gone wrong with this company. And I think this is what people talk about when they say timing is the most important thing. There's actually been studies like Bill Gross, who used to run Idea Lab, did a study where he looked at like his portfolio, but then the portfolios of a bunch of other investors and the most successful companies over time. And like, what were the things that they got right? Like, was it execution? Was it team? Was it, you know, market size? Was it timing? Was it access to capital? I think those are the main ones they looked at. And he expected as a VC who always sort of prioritized, you know, backing the right people, no matter the idea and that whole bull people talk about when it's men they're funding he had thought that they um that it would be team easily and he was stunned to find out it was timing that had made the biggest difference and it, i definitely believe it is timing over execution like i've covered startups up close for 20 years and i've seen so many teams that screw up so much stuff but if it, your timing is good like timing can cover up so many execution errors. And if your timing isn't good, it does not matter how well you execute. And I think a year or so ago, when we first started, you know, we've raised our first money for Chairman Mom and started building the product and started putting out the newsletter. We had this luxury of like, that was in the middle of, or just before in the middle of the Me Too movement, it was just after the Women's March. There really had been a sea change in this intergenerational women's movement of women wanting to spend more time with women, wanting to support more women, wanting to be actively doing something. And, you know, we, we had a massive advantage because of that. And then by the time we launched a year later, right before we launched, there was the whole Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. And I mean, mm -hmm. not a single journalist or user asked why we were charging. Everyone was so happy to pay $5 a month for a com community because it had just become so clear the toll of ad-based networks. And it wasn't just in terms of privacy. I mean, you've had people who were, um, you know, built the growth programs at Facebook, invested in that company, were founders of that company coming forward and saying, this is like, this is like cigarettes. This is the new tobacco. I don't let my kids use this. I mean, it was so clear, the toxicity of ad-based models. I mean, so we basically, like every startup wants to get in front of what Katarina who started Flickr always called like an already amassing parade. And like, I feel like we were in front of two. And I think mm -hmm. that's why it's gone so well for us. That makes a lot of sense because even when I'm thinking through how you launched, I'm curious about, you know, when you launch a question-based platform or a community-based platform, how do you get the first people to start chiming in? I would have expected that there was maybe more silence. Did you have a smaller group of people that you started with and how did you get people to start contributing? I think it all went back to the newsletter. I mean, so we did a private beta for like a month that we just only let people in the newsletter be part of. And I think we had like, if I'm remembering right, like a couple hundred people in that. And they were more active than I would have expected for sure. And they, they sort of followed a lot of things we wanted to do. And we did that for a month and then we opened it up publicly, you know, and then, you know, we, we pretty quickly got to um, about a thousand people using it. And so, you know, we like doubled the size of the audience pretty much when we launched publicly and we definitely saw more activity, but we didn't see any change in the type of activity. Like we didn't see people get meaner. We didn't see different kinds of questions. We did. It was, it was astounding how much like we didn't see. We just saw more of what we were seeing before. But like, no, I mean, that's what's stunning to us about the engagement. Like, listen, if I came, I didn't pitch it this way because it would be stupid. But if I went to VCs and said, give me a million dollars to build a site where women are going to spend really busy women building companies, doing amazing jobs and raising children are going to give us $5 a month to go online and mostly answer questions. 
No one would have funded that business. It does not sound like it should work, but it does work because of all of these cultural things, because social media let them down, because there was this void, because of the power, powerful psychological and emotional impact of giving advice and being heard and feeling like, you know, you are in control of your life, you know, via a proxy of helping someone else out. And so it like, those were kind of the gambles of the company. But we, once we got, the hard part is getting people to sign up. But once we get people to sign up, I mean, they, they do everything we want them to do. I mean, there's like a ratio of like, I don't know, seven to one in terms of answers that are answered versus questions asked. Most people would rather answer questions more than ask questions, Mm -hmm. which if you look at other sites, I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, you go on Quora, there's a lot of people asking the same over and over again. There's a lot of questions that have no answers to them at all. So, you know, I don't know. We, I think we built the right community with the mama bear. I think our timing was really good. We had a great press. We, I've never hired a PR firm before. Um, as a journalist, I've always been kind of, you know, suspect of them. But like, I've always really, really loved Leslie Gold. She runs a firm called Sutherland Gold. And I just kind of put myself in her hands and said, we're going to spend the money, even though we don't have a lot of money. And we had a phenomenal launch. I mean, they did an amazing job. And the press got our message in ways we didn't. I mean, everything just really went right. You have some pretty cool stats about anonymity and, and how, like, on this platform, you can ask questions anonymously, and you can also answer them. And from an outside, if you just talked about that on any other platform, you could understand how that might be risky. Like I wouldn't, I would say, Ooh, I don't know if I want that on other platforms, but here it works really well. Can you talk about why you think that is and and what the stats are? Yeah, I would love to. I think it's one of the most interesting things that's happened on chairman mom. So like I historically have been someone who has just like hated anonymity because like I've been a woman who's been online for a long time and been attacked constantly. Like, I mean, the gross things that used to get written about me on secret were just like nightmare inducing. So I'm someone who's generally been really critical about anonymity on the open web. But that's, again, like the ad based web. And there's such a difference in what subscription communities can do and what ad-based communities can do. And so where we, we knew that anonymity had to be a part of this company because the types of questions we're talking about are like contemplating if you're going to get a divorce, you know, like trying to figure out if your spouse is cheating on you, trying to decide if you're going to like, you know, go to HR about being sexually harassed. You know, talking about being pregnant before you've told anyone else. I mean, like, there's a lot of big issues that are discussed on this platform. You know, also stuff about your kids that, like, you may not want to put out there publicly, like if your child is gay or gender fluid or whatever. So um, there's a lot of reasons you have to have really good anonymity or you're just not going to get the right questions and you're also not going to get the honesty of answers. And when I was talking to just friends of mine before we even started building it, they were like, we have to really believe in the anonymity. Like it's not enough to have it. You have to believe in it. And so we had a lot to grapple with and like how to make that work. And, you know, what we came up with, I mean, our hope, which turned out to be true, is that when you're signing up for something and putting your credit card down and paying $5 a month, that just is going to weed out a lot of people who are going to abuse anonymity to begin with, because you're already crossing such a, a high threshold to get into this community that, you know, it's almost an online version of, you know, coming to someone's home. I mean, putting down your credit card in your real name is, is a pretty intimate thing to do for the first time you use a, a website. Certainly, we were not going to get your garden variety trolls and people who just like to abuse women because no one's going to give us $5 a month to abuse women when like they can do it at scale on the internet everywhere else. So I think just being a subscription solved a lot of that problem. And then on top of that, I think the way we do it is really interesting. So, you know, you can have your username, which can be your real name or, or you know, sort of like Twitter, like some sort of like cute name. And um, but then and you do have sort of a persistent identity across the site. But then on any sort of given interaction, and it's not even a thread by thread basis, it's really an interaction by interaction basis. So like 
you can be answering questions under your real name in a thread, but then it like maybe it goes to a place where you want to add something else you can't do under your name. Like you can add an answer that's just anonymous. You can certainly ask an individual question anonymously. I mean, it's really every time you, you type something into the site, you make that decision. And the way we do anonymity is we don't know who you are when you answer something anonymously. So we count all of our anonymous users as one user. So it's not like we could get like when I ask or answer things anonymously, my CTO cannot even know if it's me. Like it is really radical anonymity. And the reason we can do that is because we're not an ad based company. So we don't need to track everything you do because I'll be honest, like there's ways in which offering that much powerful anonymity to people hurts us as a company. Like I have to say things like I said earlier in this interview, like our engagement is north of 25%. Well, I'm not being lazy. I can't know the real number because a really high percentage of our questions are asked anonymously and about 16% are answered anonymously. And those all count as one user. So it's like, actually, our engagement is probably like 30 or 40 percent. It's probably even higher. You know, so there's things that that, you know, we also can't give you notifications if you ask a question anonymously and someone answers it or if someone wants to respond to you because it is such radical anonymity. And I think that we needed to do that early on for people to really trust that, you know, this was not something that was going to be abused. Um, I think, you know, in future versions of the site, like we may have like two levels of anonymity where it's like if you still want to get notifications and you still want these questions and answers to show up on your own user dashboard so you can track them, like that's an option. But it's like we will always have that radical anonymity where it's like if you're someone who's going through a high profile divorce or is, you know, a bunch of like an army of trolls are going after or you're a whistleblower, like if someone hacks our servers, like we don't want them to get any ammo on you. Yeah, it's such an interesting feature because I I didn't think through it. And then being on the site, I've used it and I've used it in both situations. Um, and then I asked the public question. I remember I asked all about money because I wanted to know, like, how much money do you have saved as a woman? And like, what are you thinking and planning? And there were so many people who responded anonymously because they were happy to share, but they didn't want to share and be known for it. And it was so, it was like, uh, finally, I'm getting the information that I want. Like, I, I don't even know if I would have gotten that depth of information at an actual dinner party. Yeah, exactly. No, it allows you to have conversations you can't have at a dinner party even. I mean, one of the most powerful things to me, like there's there's so many examples I give of like where this has been at, had conversations you wouldn't have elsewhere. Like, I don't know if you saw the thread of the woman whose spouse had been fired for after a claim of sexual harassment. No, I didn't see that. This was amazing. So he had been clear, investigated and cleared, but then there was basically like an internet mob and he ended up getting fired. So she had already been working and they had a couple kids. And he fell into this like deep funk and like did never want to have a career work again. So this woman is having to deal with this situation, keep her kids, you know, in a good space. And it had to take on a second job in order to like keep their house, keep their kids in schools. I mean, it was this total other side of, you know, what we've seen and, and mostly celebrated in the last year. And it was I mean, one of the most fascinating things that I see on Chairman Mom is you can write your headline question and then your longer description question. And I'm fascinated by how often what people write as their headline question is not what they're actually asking. Mm -hmm. She was definitely an example of this. It was how to recover from a partner's loss of income. But then the body of her question was something so much bigger and deeper and something we really weren't talking about as a society. And something you couldn't talk about on other social media outlets because everyone was so inflamed on this issue and there was no sympathy for wives in this situation. And I think what was amazing about, I was actually a little nervous putting that question up because I was like, wow, this is really going to be a test of our community because I know women on this community in other, and probably me included, in other places and in other contexts would be trying to figure out who that guy was, would be like, why are you with it? You know what I mean? It could have gone so wrong. But the entire thread was 
so beautiful and so supportive of her and had nothing to do with her spouse or what he may or may not have done or some bigger cause. It was really about helping her through this problem she was facing and showing her like love and compassion and support. And the most amazing thing was like at the end of this phenomenal thread, this other woman comes in and she's anonymous as well. They're both anonymous for obvious reasons. She comes in and she's like, oh, my God, the same exact thing happened to me a year ago. And I'm like, oh. what are the odds in our thousand person community? There are two people who have lived this. And the woman at this amazing, like all of this amazing about how she worked through it, what had happened, sort of, you know, being a year on in this problem. But she also said at the end, like, you know, this is why Chairman Mom is so vital, because I remember how you felt and I remember how alone I felt. And you see it in interviews with people like Georgina Chapman or Huma Aberdeen, like whatever you think of them, like the way women are made to be victims of what their husbands did. And there's no room to talk about for them to talk about what they're going through. And this woman was just like, you know, I wish this had existed for me, you know, a year before. And, you know, the two of them wanted a safe way to be able to connect to, to one another, which is what we're working on building now, like more ways that direct connections can happen off of these threads. So that's what everyone wants. And that's kind of this clear next step. But I mean, talk about how life changing when you're in a place like that, where else are you going to find someone else who's gone through it? Mm. That's so interesting. And if two people publicly are going through it, there's probably hundreds of people that are going through it on a smaller scale. Like one yeah. of the things I've found is that if, if you're asking the question, you're not alone. It just feels mm -hmm. like it. And that's such the hardest place to be and you're like, oh, no one else is going through this. I, in this country, everybody is going through some version of one of your questions. Really yeah. fascinating. What's next for you? What's what's Chairman Mom doing over the next six to 12 months? Well, so we're, um, so I was going to say, I was going to say one other thing on the anonymity thing that I love. Yeah. There's a couple of women who've asked something anonymously and then later, because the thread was so supportive, unmasked themselves. Wow. That's Which so is like, interesting. I know. I know. So it's just, I mean, I usually like during those threads have like tears in my eyes reading them. Like, so it's like so much of the reason people need anonymity, sometimes they really need it, but sometimes they feel like they need it because they're just have been conditioned to so much abuse online. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, yeah. what's next for us? So much stuff. So we're, uh, I'll try to answer next six months. So we, cause this, we're recording this when you're to run while you're on maternity leave, which is, super smart. And I'm so excited you're having another baby and it's going to be easy. <laughs> Don't even worry. Don't trip. <laughs> okay, great. Um, we, let's see. So right now uh, we're raising money, which is super fun, <laughs> but um, already, you know, we have enough money committed that we have a couple years of runway. So there's no sort of immediate panic, which is like always a good feeling to have as an entrepreneur. We need to hire a couple people. Like we only have four people full time right now. We're a really lean company. Um, and we need to hire like a really, really amazing social media person. We need to hire, um, you know, probably at some point, I mean, this is one of the most interesting things happening. Several companies have reached out to us and wanted to pay for Chairman Mom for all of their employees. So we have a couple large companies that have expressed interest and one that's going to be, you know, in the next couple of weeks in a pilot with us of that. We kind of built them some special functionality so that mostly just so that people could sign up easily and feel like they're very protected. And we had to hash out sort of a little bit about how that would work. But I think over the next couple of months, like, our user base is going to be several times as large as it is now. Um, you know, just from, from that alone, I think it's going to be really uh, powerful. And I think it's great that companies are like, we know a lot of women don't trust HR departments and we want to give them a tool that protects them and puts them first. I think it's a A lot of companies are saying that they really want to be just more family centric. And so, you know, what are, what are tools we can give our employees so that they can, you know, manage work-life balance and feel support and, you know, have, get answers to questions that those companies may not even have in-house. So I think that's really awesome. And I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to speak at a lot of companies around that. We're doing like a lot of sales around that. Um, I think that's great. 
And then on the more consumer side, we're working on a feature that hopefully will be out by the time this airs, but maybe people who don't know this, they won't know about it, called like invite a friend where you can invite a friend into Threads for free. So like if I, like for instance, I have this friend that I always talk about whenever I'm pitching, Chairman Mom, who like just hacked divorce better than anyone I've ever seen. Like she was going to enter this really acrimonious, horrible divorce with this total this narcissist. And she, he had way more power in their sort of realm and money and influence. And she knew it was going to be ugly. And so she, uh, before she filed the papers, she went at with every cutthroat divorce attorney in their city so that they would all be conflicted out of him hiring them. Oh my God. Yeah. Which is amazing. <laughs> so it's like, if, if someone ever asked a question about divorce, I would be like, Oh my God, this person has to answer it. And so yeah. the chairman Remember, I could invite her to the thread and answer it without her having to, you know, sign up, pay, put down a credit card, any of that. And I think what, you know, we haven't been done really anything that can make the company viral yet. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because there's no downside for us. I mean, we're getting greater content. Our moms and women are getting better answers. Um, by it being, you know, these things being opened up more. And, you know, we've always had the point of view as a subscription company of like, we don't want to trick anything and anyone into anything. We want to prove our value. And like, if that helps prove our value to people and then they sign up, great. If they get their friends to like send them invite a friend threads every day, like at some point we will be valuable enough. That's too annoying. And they'll give us $5. Like there's, there's no downside for us. <laughs> I think if we're doing our job and our community scaling as it has been, they're going to see the value of like why a cup of coffee is worth this community. So we're really excited to see how that grows because, you know, we love all the women on our site. They're all phenomenal. And like any women in their lives, like I can only imagine how amazing they they would be. So um, more of that stuff in September, we're doing our retreat, which will probably already happen by the time this airs. We basically are, I'm so bummed you can't make it. You've got to come next year. Uh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be 39 weeks. So there'll either be a baby or I'll be too pregnant to fly. But I've been looking at the retreat with longing eyes. Oh my God. Well, it'll be even better <laughs> next year. We will have done it for a year, but it's like, we found this old gold mining town in Northern California that um, this amazing woman, Betsy Ann, has bought and painstakingly with a bunch of other women restored over the last couple of years. And she owns the whole town. And so we're um, we're renting the town for three days. And it's going to be like women only in the town, like including staff, including everything. And like I've I went to an all girls school, but like. And I, you know, I had these women's dinners and stuff like that in my house, but I have never been in a space of only women for three days. Have you? I'm trying to think and, and not at a city level, not, yeah. not where you rent out a city. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing. And we have amazing women being speaking. Like we're going to have like, I don't know. It, the whole thing is going to be phenomenal. It's, there's like a river. You can just like hang out in the river and like, Sip rosé if you want. You can go do as well. Have workshops for like everything women need and really inspiring speakers. So if you really want to get your full conference, you know, dollar value, like we can give you all of that. Or you can just hang out and chill and meet amazing women. It's like I want it to be like I feel like so much of what I want to do at this for the rest of my career, no matter how much of it I'm running, chairman mom or not, is basically be like a female equivalent of like somewhere between Cinderella's fairy godmother and like Mr. Rourke from fantasy Island. Um, <laughs> I just like want for like people to like come with problems. And then like, we have these crazy solutions to them and help them out. And so it's like, you know what I've, we've surveyed the women coming to the retreat and we're going to do more of this. Like, what do you need? Like, do you need help raising money? Do you need help estate planning? Do you not know if you should leave your husband? Like, what are you grappling with right now? And how do we put something together that like helps you? Or do you just need like three days to decompress and sit in a river and be surrounded by other amazing women? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's like, I think kind of like the, the chairman mom plea, which is what we're calling it, is it's sort of going to be like a room of requirement. Like there's going to be women who come there to decompress and recover. And there's going to be women who are coming there to like 
charge up for battle and get new skills. But it's, mm-hmm. it's I mean, just seeing the women who have signed up for it already and having been to the town several times. I mean, the town is just magical. Like it is really a space time portal to another time. And it's going to be a transformation. I mean, I feel like I still, you know, I'm still doing these dinners in my house every month and people show up at seven and they don't leave until like 2 a.m. to even 4 a.m. Like people don't, they want, don't want to leave that space if you can hold that space for them. And and so I just think what's going to happen in three days is going to be amazing. I have been in spaces with only women for three days, but it's never been at this scale. It's always been with like 10, 12, 14 people. And uh, it's the same exact feeling. On a normal work day, I'm trying to get to bed by 8.30 or 9 p.m. And when I'm on these weekends with women, I am staying up so late because I just want to talk to every single person. And it, it fuels me for months and months and months afterwards. Yeah. And it's like our programming doesn't start until like 10 because it's like I want people to be able to stay up all night and not worry. About it. <laughs> and like, there's like a wood fired hot tub on the property. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, and, and we're going to have like I, I, we're trying to work out like people really want karaoke at night. So we're going to have yoga in the morning. And then one of our speakers is Shan Downey, a.k.a. Badass Cross Stitch. And she's making a bunch of custom patterns for us. And so, like, people can just, like, sit and, like, hang out and cross-stitch aggro phases. Like, it's going to be so great. That's great. So the next time we talk, because this will come out in November-ish, and you'll have done the retreat already. Now I have more questions. This is how we ended the, the last interview. But I'll have to ask you how the retreat has gone and... The other question that comes to mind throughout this whole conversation is, is like, as we build these robust communities for women and spaces to have conversation and share, how does it translate across genders? Like, how, what's next? And what about men or all genders that want to participate in conversations like this? Is that something you think about? And, and should we put a pin in that for a future conversation? Or do you want to talk about it now? Well, let me talk about it quickly because, but yeah. then I'm, I'm sure it would be a great longer conversation. And I'd, I'd love to hear other points of view about it because it's something I wrestle with. I mean, you know, the, the retreat like is, you know, women only and even like, you know, Paul, my business partner can't come, but chairman mom itself doesn't have any requirement that you be a woman or that you even identify as a woman. And that was a really big debate as we were working on the company and I was ultimately the one who felt really strongly about that. And there's many people who think I'm wrong. <laughs> I, may, I may be wrong as we scale. We may have a problem of, you know, like men coming in and mansplaining answers and feeling too comfortable on the site and making the space different. And we'll, we'll address that when it happens, if it, if it happens. But the reason I have to say, one of the reasons I just, I almost felt like I was breaking out in hives when we would think about this being a community where you had to say you're a woman or identify a woman to be part of it is because of my son. So I have a gender fluid son who doesn't fully identify as a boy or a girl at this point. And I've seen how painful it is to have the restrictiveness that we've had, we have around gender as a society on him. And I think that some of that is very well-meaning. Some of it obviously isn't. But even things that are about girl empowerment that leave gender fluid out of that. Like there's just there's restrictiveness around gender that even when it's well-meaning can be really um, painful for people who don't fit in that bucket. And I think beyond that, you know, I can only imagine there's a lot of, you know, like gay couples who have children where one or the other might grow and want to be part of this community or, you know, they're single dads or stay-at-home dads or, you know, dads who don't have the primary breadwinner position or dads who want to be kids and wrestle with a lot of, like, I just think like the, the primary things that we're really tackling with chairman moms, you know, they just can't be that restrictive in terms of like what you were born with either on the inside of your body or the outside of your body. And so I'm interested to see what happens longer term as we build and scale more. I mean, the companies that are buying Chairman Mom subscriptions are offering them to all their employees. So I didn't know that. That's fascinating. That could change dramatically. Like, but 
I do think as we grow and scale, there's going to be a couple different, I think there's, there are going to be times when we probably need different versions of the same community. So like, even if you just think within women, when we're talking about expanding um, internationally, like China needs a very different version of chairman mom than America. You know, Mm -hmm. in America, you have nearly half the population that thinks that women shouldn't work. In China, you don't really have a phenomenon of stay-at-home moms. Um, the problems that, sh- that women face in China are very different. Um, you know, things like not having rights to home ownership, or if you're a single mother, your child doesn't get any papers or legal status. Or the biggest problem that women are going to face in China, particularly urban-born and urban-educated women in China, they have benefited up until now from the one child policy and that they have sort of built in childcare from both sides of their families and typically only have one baby themselves. But China is rapidly aging population that they are not prepared to take care of. And the Chinese over 60 population, if it were its own country, it would be the third largest country on earth. And in very soon, these women are going to have to start grappling who've had two sets of grandparents taking care of their children while they build their careers are going to be grappling with now having to take care of their children and two sets of grandparents. And that's going to be a very different thing that women face than what they face here. So like, I already think in terms of internationally, there's going to be some communities where the community we have now is appropriate, but where other ones face very different problems that we may need to build even different features around that. Um, And I think, you know, by the same token, I think it's possible that in the future, you know, we build something for men who want to be better fathers and raise better boys. And I think maybe that's its own community. I mean, I think at its bare minimum, what Chairman Mom is combating is loneliness and isolation. And I think we all know that is the biggest problem, certainly in our country right now, and the biggest casualty of, you know, the trillion dollar social media industry. So um, I don't think it's exclusive to moms and I don't think it's exclusive to women. And we look at the stats on suicide and we look at, you know, so many other studies that back that up. But I do think if we can solve this for working moms, there's a lot of other people we can solve it for. A hundred percent, because because something that comes to mind all the time is that these problems of isolation and loneliness are also likely the problems that are plaguing those who are the worst trolls. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a crisis of white men in this country who feel depressed and isolated and suicidal. I mean, it's like there's there's a study that someone one of our investors had cited and I'm probably going to get slightly wrong, but it was a really high percentage of white men who felt like they didn't have a single person to call. that was a close friend if they were in trouble. After, I think, heart disease, one of the leading causes of death for white men is despair, which yeah. is the collection of suicide and drug overdose and all of those deaths. But because loneliness and isolation, I mean, we're feeling it, but also, and so I don't have, I don't have, you know, finished thoughts on this, but I just, I'm asking the questions of where does it come from and why have we gotten it so wrong? And does a solution like Chairman Mom, which is working well for this community, does it work? And how does it work for other communities? Is it possible? Yeah. And look, I'm happy for like other communities to see what we're doing well and like, you know, build something for themselves. Like, you know, I think of this whole thing as so zero sum game. I think we need to rebuild community online for the many, many billions of people in the world that it's failed. Um, And so I think sort of the more people taking this approach, like, you know, the merrier, but I definitely, I think one of the biggest reasons, you know, is we're raising this series A of funding, like investors who, who maybe just don't exclusively care about, you know, women's issues or moms. Like one of the reasons they're really bullish on our company is they think, you know, what we're combating is loneliness and isolation. And like, we all see how big of a problem that is. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And, to be continued because this is this is such an important topic. Thank you so much for coming back to the show and sharing the journey of Chairman Mom and what you're building you. and all and of that. Thank you. Part of our community. Like I love your questions and your answers. The one that you've done under your own name. I have no idea what you're not. <laughs> um, but uh, it's such a delight whenever I like see your name pop up, and um, I I love your show and everything that you've 
done for women. And I'm so excited about your next baby. When are you doing it? October. So you're, you, this one's coming out in November. I'm doing October and I'm trying to take three months as slow as I am capable of. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's hard. Well, congratulations. I'm so, so happy for you. It's so much more fun with two. I know it seems harder, but it isn't. You're, you're going to be oh. fine. Oh, that's great to hear. I, you know, I take that story and I'm just going to absorb it. That's my wish. Yeah. So seriously, I do not even have to like wake up until like 10 o'clock on the weekend mornings. Like I sit and read papers in bed and drink coffee and my kids entertain each other. Like (laughs) if I had one kid, they'd be so (laughs) up in my face. Like, and then it's like the beauty is like when you suddenly have one again for the weekend, like if your spouse takes one or a grandparent or something, it's like, oh my God, how did I ever complain about having one kid? Like this is really easy. Like it's (laughs) it's like getting kittens. It's like they're better in two. Okay, well, I'll report back to everyone. I'll let you know how it goes because I'll be still podcasting. Um, Sarah, have an awesome Friday. Oh, you too. Bye-bye. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.